welcome to the Home Building Hub, your essential podcast guide to building your new home. Hosted by industry experts Colin Bischoff and Darren Brennan, this conversational podcast will help better educate you about all things new home building so you can avoid costly mistakes and enjoy your building experience to the fullest, no matter which home builder you choose. Hey there, folks, and welcome back to another episode of the Home Building Hub. Colin here, co-host with Darren Brennan, as always. And today, we thought we'd share a top 10 for people, Darren. Now, the top 10 we're going to share with people today is things that often buyers don't consider when they build. So we're going to give you 10 items that we find uh, are sometimes overlooked, uh, sometimes people didn't realise they needed them, etc. So that's what we're going to go through. I think it'll be great short, sharp, and probably very helpful episode for people, Daz. So how are you going today, mate? Mate, I'm going well. I'm feeling pretty laid back right now, Kai. I don't know. I'm, normally, I'm right up in the thing. I'm just chilling out a bit, mate. It's going well, mate. It's going good. I like it. I like that. I'm feeling like it's a good episode, mate. And I think, uh, I must say, I was part of why this came about is a, a customer of ours who I've been dealing with a fair bit, he's a friend of a friend, um, and he's been messaging me a bit, and and it came up that, you know, he, he'd missed a couple of things when he was working out, you know, building his home and he's in that early mm. process still. And I'm like, you know what, that's a really good point to go. Here's some of that stuff that people just miss out on. And obviously we spoke about it and you had a few good ideas in there and, and here's the list, mate. So I reckon we crack in, mate, and let's let's get straight into it, eh? Yep. That sounds like a plan. So just uh, before we kick into that, if uh... – you guys like what you're hearing with our podcast, please jump on and give us a five-star review on whatever platform you are using. Um, generally, that's all we ask. Yeah, that's the fee for the show, as Darren often says. So, yeah, we'd really appreciate that. Um, and if you want to learn a bit more about myself or Darren, just jump back to the first ep- uh, episode. It's an introduction episode, about 10 minutes long, a bit about who we are, what we do, why we're doing it, and um, that's about it. So let's jump straight in. Um I'll kick off with number one, Darren, if that's all right. So number one is deposits and probably just an understanding of what that means. Uh, everyone knows they're going to pay a deposit, um, I guess, in general, but how that's split up. So let's say we've got house and we've got land. Generally, your deposit that you'll pay for land is usually 10% for a block. Now, don't get me wrong. There are some, some developers will take 5%. Some will give you rebates. Some will give you this. Some will give you that. But at the end of the day, there is a, a usually an initial deposit you pay, <clears throat> excuse me, to secure that block or keep it on hold for five minutes, and then. But when you sign the contract um, and you know ready for deposit time, it'll be ten percent more often than not. Factor that in, and I think one that that people do get confused with, Daz, sometimes is is the the building contract deposit with the builder. So usually when you uh, uh, got a quote you're happy with and, and I guess a base plan you're happy with, the inclusions, et cetera, with, with any builder you choose, you might put down what's called a preliminary fee. Some people call it initial deposit. Essentially, it's, yep, I'm, I'm going to pay. It might be, some depends on what builder does, but it might be 1000 might be 2000 might be 5000 just depends what it is. But basically, you're putting that down. You say, yeah, you know what, I'm happy with that quote. Um, please go and continue, you know, start the process of, of going to obtain information and get get things finalised for me. And that's what that deposit will do. Now, when you sign a contract, um, generally, you know, if your land's title won't be long after that, that you'll get a, an invoice from the builder for what's called the balance of 5%. Okay, so 5% of the building, uh, the contract price, you you need to pay to the builder. 
and you might have already paid one, two, three, four, or five grand at the preliminary fee at the quoting stage. The balance of that will need to be paid by you to that builder. Um, you know, usually when the land, I guess, uh, is titled DAS uh, and the, the insurance has been issued these days, is what generally how builders are meant to do it. Um, yeah, so it's probably number one. People just don't quite understand that process. So 10% for land, usually, sometimes 5%, and then 5% in total for the build contract. Um, expect to be paying for those. I think just on, on, the, on there, Cole, where some people also get caught is if they're paid 10% of the land, and, and let's say the land's half the cost of the total project, and they've only got 5% deposit, then they've given over all their money, yeah. all their deposit money in the into the land developer. Now they can't afford to pay the builder. So, yeah. so be mindful of what that looks like. Chat to your builder. And often the builder might be able to negotiate a 5% deposit on the land and mm. the 5% deposit on the house so that you can actually still proceed forward and, and move forward in that place. So yep. you know, keep that in mind. Um, number two, I guess when you're working out your sums for borrowing, make sure you remember things such as stamp duty, conveyancing costs, land transfer fees, mortgage insurance, if applicable, because, again, they're all forming part of additional funds that you may need. So um, when you talk to a bank or a broker, they're going to take those things into account. But if you're doing your sums and thinking, I want to get the 5% deposit or I want to get the 10% deposit, you may not have as much money as you actually think you do when you factor those costs in. So it's just one that people often get caught on. So, yeah, be mindful when that's the case. Yeah, definitely check with your broker, get them itemised. Here are the things that you need to factor in. Indeed. Um, something that relates to that, number three uh, on our list of items here, very close, essentially is progress payments and people understanding that when your land is titled, as in ready to build on, you will then settle on that block of land and that's when your clock starts ticking. So essentially, you might have a house and land loan. Let's just say it's an easy number of 500 grand. And then half of that, 250 grand, is the land component. Now, you haven't yet built and completed your home, um, but you will still need to A, pay for the, the, the repayments for the land because you've now settled it. There's 250 grand you're starting to pay off whilst your home's being constructed but also understanding progress payments throughout the build. So there are sort of there's a number of stages through the building process. You don't have to generally pay, you know, the, the full amount because you haven't completed, but you do pay certain percentages as each stage is completed. So if it's um, you know, base stage or when the slab's down or the frame stage, etc., there there are certain percentages the builder, which is all clear in your contract. Um, it's it basically you will then start paying instead of paying 250 grand. Um, I guess the 250 grand land component, it might, might be after the first stage, it might become 300 grand you're starting to pay for out of your $500,000 loan. And then it gradually builds up. So you need to factor in cash flow wise, if you are renting or paying for another house, you need to understand that that's going to increase as time goes through as the build progresses towards the completion stages. Um, explain that okay, Daz? Yeah, I reckon, and I think the other bit in that. So this was the one that that this uh, this customer slash friend uh, um, brought up was that he was concerned about the progress payments and making those payments for the bill cost, mm. and as they sort of go through, so he's trying to factor in those numbers to his sums, which he hadn't done previously. So he's like, everything's good, everything's good, and then like, 
holy crap, I've got to pay for this thing on the way through, right? Mm. So he, he'd factored in the progress payments for the land but not for the house component. So he's just had to go back to the drawing board and find a few more bucks, you know, that he's got sitting aside because he doesn't want to stress himself out too much during that process. Mm. The other one is yeah. to, uh, in that same spot is the longer it takes to build, the more additional repayments you're going to have to make. So you know, obviously you want to be asking your builder around how their build times look like at the moment, right? Because build times should, for most builders, be coming back in, getting a bit quicker, right? Um, so you want to ask those questions. One thing you can do also, if you want to get some reality of it, is go out to a build site, ask to see, give me three build sites you're building, and go and look at the sign that's on the front, and it'll give you a permit issue date. Right, and if that house is nearly completed, you'll get a real idea of how long it's taken to build it. Right, so I was talking to Cole before we recorded this episode about I was out at a site the other day, and and that's how I knew how long they'd been on site. The builder next door was because it had a date when they got their permit, and we're now seven or eight months down the track, so I could establish pretty quickly how fast they're building that home. Right. So, so you can always ask that question. If you've got two or three builds or just drive around near the display homes, there'll be some builds from that builder and check out the date that the permit was issued. And then look at today's date and go, hold on. How much work have they done? Does that look a lot compared to the other builders? So, you know, that's one way to look at it for sure. Um, the next one would be, uh, number four, get a conveyancer. So, you know, obviously you need a conveyancer to settle your land. Well, sorry, you don't need a conveyancer, but most people will have. I would, I don't know anyone who tries to settle the land themselves mm-hmm. without a conveyancer. No. It's just too bloody hard. So get a conveyancer. What is a conveyancer, Darren, first? So a conveyancer is going to be, uh, they're, they're, I guess, a, they're not a lawyer. They're just part of a, a, the legal transaction of land. So, um, they'll organize the transaction between, the landowner existing, yourself and the banks, and they'll organise that all those transferring documents, the title gets transferred over to your name, they'll provide all the documents required. I see a conveyance actually during the real estate part of the of the process, which is the land settlement, I see them a bit like a coach, right? So when you've got a good coach, they tell everyone what to do, they point them in the right direction, they organise everything. That's exactly what your conveyances should be doing. They should be chatting to the to the mm. other side solicitors. They should be chatting to the bank. They should be chatting to you and telling you what to do. You need to organise this, this, and this. I'm going to organise that. They're going to organise this, and away we go. But one of those that we like to see conveyances put in is a note in your contract, uh, in yeah, in your contract that there will be survey pegs on the block at land settlement. And what does that mean? So survey pegs are the corners of your block, um, and that'll illustrate because you're in a paddock, so there's no fences often. That'll be the corners of the bit of land that you're buying. So um, what we want to do is make sure that they're there when the land settles so that you don't have to get those installed afterwards because that can be a costly exercise. So what you do, you want to go out a few days before land settlement and just check that they're actually there. So you may have to bring a shovel with you to dig around the corners of your block to see if you can find these white pegs. We're not talking the tall one that sits out of the ground. We're talking the one that's at the ground level. They should be about five centimetres by five centimetres, and you want to make sure that they're there because that's what the builder's going to work out, where the edge of your block is and how to place your house on that block. And if they're not, it's probably going to cost you up to about $1,000 to get a new survey done, and that's something that you don't want to have to pay if you can avoid it. 
Yeah, I think that's good. The only thing I'd add is a conveyancer will review your land contract as well. So essentially they do represent you legally on that sense and they say, look, this is a little heavy, this should come in this should come in and that should go out. They're there to represent you. So you don't have to read through a, you know, hundred and fifty page land contract that you wouldn't understand. Well, most and of us wouldn't understand. understand. That's what they're there for, okay? So very important, get a conveyance up um, before you buy a land, uh, piece of land and make sure they get through that contract. And I like your, yeah, coaching analogy there, Daz. That makes a lot of sense. Um, number five, I think this happens all the time, Darren, and I think buyers need to understand that you need to clear your site. You are responsible for clearing your site. And unfortunately, in a lot of cases, someone's gone and dumped rubbish on there. It could be, uh, you know, like an old couch and things like that. It could be um, leftover soil from a neighbouring builder. It could be old temp fences. It could be anything. But the reality is you need to understand as, as a customer or as a new home builder who signed a contract with a builder, it's not the builder's responsibility to clear that site. Probably the main one I should mention is um, overgrown grass or weeds. You have to get that all trimmed, trimmed back, um, remove all the all the rubbish if there's any, remove the soil, remove bits of concrete, whatever it may be. They need a clear site before they will actually go out and start your home. So I think um, you, you have to factor that in uh, and try and prevent that as best you can. Unfortunately, it, in some cases, Darren, it's something you can't prevent. Um, you know, your council can issue you fines as well if you've got stuff on your blocks and all that sort of stuff. So... Um, it can delay the process if you've got stuff on site. So you were talking about an example prior to this call, Darren, where um, we got a cl- you've got a client ready to go, contract ready, off they go. They want to get to site as quickly as possible, but they can't because there's all this soil on their block, um, which needs to be removed before the soils uh, soil test and survey can be done because it's in the way. So, yeah, it's really important. I think for those of you who, who have a, a little bit of extra money there, Go and get a temp fence put up, you know, the day you, you can when, when that's titled. That's that's something that can prevent, prevent people from throwing rubbish onto your block um, or just understand and have a provision there for the reality that you might have to pay, you know, uh, someone to come and trim it, mow it, etc. but to clear some rubbish as well. You jump on an app like Airtasker or whatever, you'll find, you know, 150 people in, in a matter of minutes who are happy to help all depending on the price. So just wanted to flag that one, Darren. I think that's something that people do not think about as much. And when they get that call or email from the builder, they're like, well, why do I have to pay? I didn't think about that. And, you know, it's not the builder's responsibility. They're there to build the house. And in order to do that, they need a nice, clear, clean site. And they, they might be able to organise to get it clean for you, but it's going to be a lot more expensive than Airtasker, <laughs> like in yeah. reality, right? Um, oh, yeah. uh, block they'll I put a margin on top, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. But the block I was mentioning, mate, was one of the worst I've seen. Like there was probably 20 or 30 cubic metres of soil dumped on there, and, um, and I felt very sorry for this customer. It's not our fault that that was the case. It's clear that some of it had come from the neighbouring property, but then that started the the on roll of everyone else going, well, if it, they're dumping stuff there, we'll dump stuff there too. It was everywhere. I was <laughs> yeah. blown away. And and it's going to cost yeah. them a lot of money to get it removed if they can't get the people who dumped it to remove it. And and they only know some of those people. They don't know all those people and they'll deny as well. So that's the bit. You really got this trade-off. So, you know, if you see someone yeah. dumping stuff on someone's block, rip into them. If you see someone tipping soil off on someone else's block or dumping rubbish, don't do it yourself and don't. 
if you see someone doing it, just take a photo and send it to the council and say, don't think this is right because it's just it's just a poor, poor act that goes on out there right now. It's disgraceful anyway. Yeah. And uh, it's we'll everywhere to- too, Darren. It's really bad for builders. It's one of their most like extensive costs they have to cover um, r- clearing rubbish. Just, just This is not one of the points, but part and parcel with the topic. Just so you understand, a builder um, – has to pay for the rubbish that gets put on the site that they're in control of, right? So if someone comes and dumps rubbish on the site, the builder has to go and pay for that. It's not like insurance covers it or whatever. And that's not a cost. They, I mean, they factor in a certain cost for, for bins to a degree. But if someone comes and dumps rubbish on that six times on that site, then they don't factor that into every every single base price. And if they did, then you'd, you'd all be paying more as a home buyer, you know. So it, it's sort of a trade-off. But one of the things I learned in recent weeks, Darren, was that the, the some councils are now actually forcing a uh, charge, forcing builders to clear out the rubbish around their bins as well and issuing fines in the event that anything within, let's say, a metre of a bin is now deemed to be their responsibility as well. So, yeah, it's not... Um, yeah, they're not really kind when it comes to builders trying to, I guess, having to pay for those things. And and same applies for you being the home buyer. The the reality is the builder's going to have to wear what they're going to have to wear along the journey of the build. You just need to make sure that site is clear and, and ready to roll for them. Yeah, um, that's your responsibility. Yeah, indeed. So the next one, I guess, is understanding uh, the exclusions in your building quote. So ask your sales consultant. You know, what aren't I getting? Not so much what am I getting? So you get some ideas for that. And and some of those examples would be if you've got um, stuff like you build over easement. So you're probably, you know, you're building really close to, to an easement on your block and all of a sudden they're either having to spread soil over the top of that or, or cut some of the land back over that. That could be an additional cost. And um, we just mentioned earlier the reestablishment surveys, um, if there's rock, that they hit, is that included or not included? Um, turnkey items such as fencing, landscaping, etc. You want to have a bit of a budget for these items up your sleeve so that at least you're aware um, and not caught on the hop. So, yeah, there's number six, mm. Cole. Number seven. Yep. Yeah, I think just on number six, Dad, it's very important to ask that the sales, whoever you're dealing with, the sales consultant, ask them, what am I not getting? And a really good sales consultant will because they're really good at telling you what you do get and promotions and you get this 40 mil stone, you get this and you get that. That's okay. But what am I not getting? What are the things that you understand because you've done this a thousand times versus me doing it once or twice? That's important to know and, and get some of that feedback and put, the, put those dot points down. Absolutely. Number seven, this is a small one, Darren, but a very significant one. Um, check the refrigerator space measurements on your floor plan to make sure that they will fit, not the fridge you've got now, but potentially the fridge you're going to buy later, okay? It's very important to do that because you're pretty stuck if you don't, okay? So the common width and depth of a refrigerator space, depending on the builder, it sort of varies a bit, but the width is roughly a metre or 10, 50 mil, something like that, Um, and then the depth is usually about 600 or 650 mil, okay? So you, you need to factor that in. It's a short, sharp one, but something that I think you've got to flag early before you get your drawings completed and, and sign off on that contract. And it might mean that dream fridge you always wanted, you can't have because it ain't going to fit or you get it. No, that's right. Um, I'm not sure my mother-in-law 
I was going to say, I'm not sure my mother-in-law liked the fact that I'm mentioning this, but they had to remove the skirting boards to get a fridge into their into their fridge space. So they bought the fridge, got it home, thinking it's going to fit, and it was so bloody tight that they removed the skirting board. So, yeah, anyway, so they're just some wow. of the examples, I guess, of where it can go wrong. I think the depth is something that we, we underestimate with those refrigerator spaces because the fridges, if you want the one with the water and the ice and, and all that sort of stuff, then they're, they're deeper fridges and they'll stick out of your, um, your refrigerator space by, by a substantial amount, two, three hundred uh, millimetres, yeah. like two-thirds of a ruler, you know, and that's a fair bit to stick out and that can also get in the way of the pantry if, if your fridge is in the pantry space or it could stick out in the walkway where your island bench and kitchen bench top is so yeah yeah it's a little one but definitely well, one i see that. people never even question yeah yeah for sure for sure so next on the list mate is uh expect to pay the rates and services so electricity gas etc from the day you settle your land um and during your construction too so you know most builders will pass that cost on to you and you know there's not a big cost obviously there's not people living in the home while the house is getting built but there is some electricity getting used there is some water getting used and generally builders will pass that cost on to the to the homeowner so you'll have those connected those services into your name and you'll be getting the bill for those from the start so you know and and obviously don't forget those connection fees. Again, it can be a bit of, uh, you know, one of the ones that gets you, all of a sudden you're trying to get your internet connected and and there's a two or $300 fee that goes along with that because um, they're going to send someone out to your property potentially or whatever that's going to look like. So be mindful of those additional costs because they can just be a little bite that you don't want at that time. So if you're budgeting for it, you're aware yep. of it, away you go. Building inspections. Now, we're not really going to get into whether they're good or bad or you're, you need to do them or you don't need to do them. Like, that's not the topic. What, what I want to highlight is one thing is if you're going to, if you made the decision to get a, um, a private consultant through or commonly known as a building inspector through at um, one stage or at all stages of your build, um, that's totally fine to do. But just understand, now I had this discussion or we do in our business a lot with people Every single time a building inspector comes into your your house during construction and, and does a report and sends a report back to yourself and the builder to address the following items and then the builder has to review that report and then they have to go and address if there are any items to address, go out and do that. They have to schedule the people in to do it. That takes time. So in I don't know if it's exactly like this with every builder, but you need to understand that each time a building inspector goes out there, you and you will be extending the contract period by about 21 days per visit, okay? And that 21 days allows the report to come back, get reviewed and things to get rectified, okay? It's just something that I don't think people are aware of, Darren, that yeah, these things can have implications in terms of the, the timing that the builder's allowed to take. So if they quote, let's say for easy numbers, your house is going to be built in exactly three months, then um, if you go and have three ins three inspections, then now your house is going to be built in just over four months because as a result of those, okay? So it's just something for people to... Uh, factor in if they're going to send in their own inspectors. Absolutely. Um, and I think number 10, mate, is just understanding the impact neighbouring dwellings can have on your home or build, right? And what do we mean by that is, um, for example, if if you choose to wait, so your land's titled and you choose to wait and the next-door neighbour builds and you might come along in a year's time and think, I'll build then, 
and they've built a two-storey home, for example, and all of a sudden that two-storey home is shadowing your block and you can't get uh, natural light or sunlight into your windows um, that, that meets the regulations, then all of a sudden you might have to have a smaller house on your block. Could be one. Um, another example in that could be your neighbours choose, so the estate and, you know, res code says you can have your house set back at four metres to the front wall of the home, but your neighbours decide, bugger that, we wouldn't mind a bigger front yard, so we're going to set our house at five or six metres, and now because you're only on a 30-metre deep block, you can't actually get the house that you wanted to fit, so you've got to go and apply that, get, you know, potentially approval, and there's no guarantees you'll get it, right, to have your setback further forward. Even though Resco says it's going to be four metres, it also says you have to match your neighbour's uh, setbacks. So if one's at six and one's at five, you have to be at five and a half. So be mindful that that's the case, you know, because those things will have a direct impact on your home. Um, I don't know if any others you can think of just off the back hole, but they're, they're probably two of the real common ones um, in that space. But but yep. delaying often can end up in a bit of misery for you because you're not going to be able to get what you want. Yeah. Yeah, so I think the only other one I'd add is probably if you're building a double storey or your neighbour's building a double storey, um, in the event the neighbour's built first and you have left your land titled and, and not gone and got yourself um, a permit and, and start building, that neighbour may not need to have any privacy glazing on the windows that face your block. Okay, so in the event, though, that you're underway, you've got a permit first and, and you've... Um, sort of nearly finished your home, you've reached occupancy permit, nearly ready for handover, then the next-door neighbour building a double will then be subject to, um, you know, different set of, uh, I guess, requirements based on the fact that you're already there. So they factor in that there's a dwelling already built next door that's achieved an occupancy permit, um, and therefore they will have to have privacy glazing on the windows that face your your lot as an example, okay? So these are pretty big things because I know people don't like, you know, you're hanging out in your backyard and you can see like literally just there, you can see, the, you know, the third and the fourth bedroom of your neighbour and there's no privacy at all and that's just uncomfortable both ways, whether you're the one, whether you're in the, the double story or, the, or building the single, you know? So yeah. that's one to factor in. So that the message, I guess the point is, Darren, if, if you're going to buy a block of land, Check what's next door. Yeah, um, if it is titled, um, and have a look at that. Number two, if, if you're going to buy a titled block of land, be prepared to get cracking on building. You want to get out there first, uh, because then you're not subject to those front setback restrictions Darren mentioned, and all that sort of stuff it can make life a lot easier for you and for the builder um, if you are first to build, as opposed to your neighbours. Yeah, that's just been lots of examples, Cole. Um, you know, of exactly these situations, you know, and I can, you know, a good friend of ours, Richard, had that in, in, in a place in Point Cook where he got caught by the neighbouring front setbacks, you know. Um, I was on a block just the other day where the garage wall on the boundary on the home we're prepare, proposing um, doesn't allow enough room to the next-door neighbour's bedroom windows, meaning we can't build that house. We have to actually choose a different design that's skinnier so we can get the garage a metre off the boundary. could be that the garage wall on the boundary yep. is the neighbour's built right on the boundary but there's quite a bit of fall and all of a sudden when you go to build, you're under 
mining the neighbor's garage, meaning that you're going to have to um, spend a fair bit of money in underpinning their garage so that that garage doesn't fall into your land and, and fall away. So all these things can take impact. So being mindful of what's going on with your neighbors yeah. is really key. And if you know there's stuff going on there, do yourself a favor and let the salesperson know and get them to go out and have a look if they need to, to take some photos so that they can get the right advice. If they don't have the right answers themselves, they can seek that from their team around what impact is this going to have so that you, the customer, aren't disappointed. I'm thinking I'm getting this house, but, you know, two months later I find out it doesn't work anymore. And and the additional cost too, like and, if, the, yeah, if the design works. We've had the same neighbours neighbors knocking it back, but... If you're going to build a tight house on a tight block and it's already another tight house on a tight block next door, you can expect, you know, double handling, uh, restricted access, these sorts of terms being, you know, included in your quote, uh, you know, fees of 1500 to three grand plus for, for yep. these extra extra things, okay? So that's why we mentioned this is point number 10. Um, cool, mate. Yeah. Hopefully those will uh, awesome. help everyone out, mate. I think there's some good ones in there. And I think if you're just taking those into into mind when you're considering, you know, building, they're just going to mean you get less surprises and you can prepare for that as well. So it's a really good episode, Tom. Yeah. yeah, nice. I think it's pretty helpful. So if you like what you hear, guys, five-star review, please, on the platform you're on. That would be fantastic. Any feedback, homebuildinghub.com.au. Contact us form there. You can pop in a question or any feedback to us. Again, if you want to get to know myself or Darren a bit better, just jump back to episode one introduction. Other than that, Daz, thanks again for your time, guys. We will see you on the next one. Awesome. Good on you, Cole. Cheers. See you, guys. Thanks for listening to the podcast, guys. And just our disclaimer, whilst we're all about providing value to you, this podcast should not be considered as legal or financial advice. It contains general information only, and you should seek out independent professional advice on your personal situation before making any legal or financial decisions. One, two, three.